Podcast One Production. This episode of the Next Million Seconds User's Guide to the Future was produced in partnership with GIO. April the 26th, 2016, was not my favorite day. I woke up to find my bedroom door wide open and that I could see through my home to my back balcony where the door to the outside was wide open, a locked door. I bolted out of bed because I knew while I slept, someone had been in my house. And as I walked through my house and saw what had happened, I understood that I'd not only been robbed, I'd been looted. Everything of value that wasn't too big or too heavy had been stolen. All my smartphones, and I had half a dozen. All my portable computers, all my tablets, except for the one at my bedside. My wallet with my credit cards and my license and so on. And so many of my little electronic gadgets. And it's funny, because the one thing I remember being most upset about was my collection of whiskeys. Now, I don't drink a lot of whiskey, but I do like it. And I had spent years curating a collection of some really nice and quite rare single malts. All gone. All gone. And here's the kicker. Because my smartphones had all been stolen, every last one of them, I had to call the police from my desktop PC using Skype. I wasn't prepared for that robbery. And if we've learned anything from 2020, it's that we need to be prepared. We weren't prepared for a pandemic. And because of that, we're all right now learning just how much change we're prepared to absorb. There's no question we've entered a new era. We can never know what tomorrow will bring, but we can prepare. I'm Mark Pesci, and on this episode of the Next Billion Seconds User's Guide to the Future, we're looking at theft. It's changing because the things thieves steal are getting smarter. They know where they are, and they can tell us. So can anything really be stolen anymore? We'll find out on this episode of the User's Guide to the Future. Being robbed feels awful, even though it's just things. You feel violated. And as my friend and fellow futurist Sally Dominguez points out, that feeling shapes how we see the world. I've just been at Venice Beach, California, which was literally like a Mad Max apocalypse at sunset, where you had crazies everywhere, lots of them on roller skates and blades, and the sun was setting, there was smoke in the air, there's an American flag kind of torn in the background. (laughs) Chaos, chaos, thick smoke everywhere. You know, I'm torn with this idea that we have um, rampant, car break-ins, right? And we have homelessness and, and a lot of petty theft happening because of this. Because on the one hand, I'm like, 
hey, that's not cool, don't steal my stuff, I feel unsafe. On the other hand, I look at a beach, I look at a beautiful Californian environment, I look at Sydney, and I think, at what point do the people that have nothing say, okay, what gives you the right to have so much more than me just because you had better circumstances? Personal safety, that's a powerful feeling. And we know when we're feeling unsafe and we avoid those situations. That's what makes a robbery like the one I experienced such an emotional thing because it came out of nowhere. But there are so many other situations where we get separated from the things that are important to us, where it might not be theft, not exactly. It might just be carelessness. So, let's see, this is back in 2011. My sister and my brother-in-law and my two nephews have come to visit me. This is their first trip to Australia. Now, I'm working down in Melbourne when they come, so we make plans to meet there, and then we go down the Great Ocean Road, and we take a dip in the Southern Ocean in Torquay, and then we fly back home to Sydney. On that flight, I had brought my first-generation iPad. I got an iPad the day it was released. I loved it, and I left it. On that flight, stuffed into the seat back pocket between a couple of magazines. Ugh. And I was so busy with my family, I didn't even realize I'd done that for at least 18 hours. Way too long to have them look on the flight. I did check with lost and found at the airline, nothing. So, I guess that's it. Except, well, actually, it wasn't. You see, a few months before I'd lost that iPad, Apple had introduced a new feature on iPhones and iPads called Find My iPhone. I'd remembered reading about it, and I realized my iPad had a SIM in it, so it was connected to mobile broadband and it had GPS in it, so it knew where it was. So maybe my iPad could tell me where it had gone? I mean, well, it couldn't hurt to look. So. I went to the Apple website and I found the Find My iPhone page and... Yes, that's right. I could see my iPad. And it wasn't in flight. It wasn't in an airport. It was 40 kilometers away from me in Sydney's western suburbs, in a suburban neighborhood. Wow, okay, so I could see where it was, down to the street address. Okay, so... This is actually when I made a call to the police and I reported my iPad as stolen and they came by to interview me. And I said to them, look, not only is it stolen, I know where it is. They didn't believe me. They didn't think that sort of thing was possible. So I showed them. And that, that was the first time they'd seen anything like it. They'd heard of a device that could track itself, but they'd certainly never seen one before. So the police said, since you know where it is, why don't you ask them to return it? I thought that maybe the police would want to do that, but it seems they wanted me to do that for myself. I wasn't really looking forward to a visit way out west and knocking on a door and asking politely to get my iPad. That's when I discovered one of the features of Find My iPhone. I could lock my iPad so that it couldn't be unlocked by someone else, and I could post a message to its screen. And I did that. I offered a reward for its return and gave them an email address as a contact. Within a day, I got a reply. And the day after that, in Sydney's CBD, I handed over a $50 reward for the return of my $1,500 iPad. I had it back. I had it back! It blew my mind. 
and it showed me that when a device gets smart enough, it gets hard to steal. Now, the chips and the sensors needed to make my iPad that smart, they cost a fair bit a decade ago. But we've made a few billion of them since then, and they're a lot cheaper now. So those kinds of smarts, they can be embedded in many different things. Anything that's too valuable to lose, really. And so in that decade, we've seen a number of tech startups launch their own versions of gadgets that can help our things track themselves. The most successful of these, Tile, allows you to slap a sticker on anything you don't want to lose. Your keys, your wallet, your smartphone, your tablet, your luggage, your handbag, pretty much anything. And Tile comes with an app that uses Bluetooth to locate that thing you can't find. Now, that'll work around the house or in the car or in the office. It's not really so good if what you're looking for has been lost or stolen in the world beyond those places. But it is a good beginning. Now, for a few years, it's been rumored that Apple will also be doing something along these lines. Apple has a product rumored to be called AirTags, and they supposedly allow you to use the Find My iPhone feature to find, well, pretty much anything you slapped one of their AirTags onto. Now, will that mean that you can find your wallet if it ends up 40 kilometers away? No one knows, not yet. But that day will come because the chips to connect something to mobile broadband so that it can tell you where it is. Those chips are getting cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. And before this decade is out, pretty much everything will be able to know where it is and tell you. That sounds like an ideal world. A world where theft has become effectively impossible. In a moment, we'll learn why that might not be true and what we can do to prevent theft of our smartest possessions. Welcome back to the Next Billion Seconds User's Guide to the Future, where we're asking whether theft will become impossible in a world where everything is smart enough to know where it is and tell us. Now, although that may sound like a very futuristic prospect, our smartphones already have that sort of capability, and increasingly, so do our cars. For more than 20 years, with services like General Motors OnStar, automobiles have had onboard connections to the mobile data network, and they've had the capability to track themselves when they get stolen. Makes sense. A car is a big, expensive thing, and spending a few hundred dollars seems like a reasonable way to protect that investment. But it's actually a bit more complicated than that, because you'd think car theft would be going away, and it isn't. Here's Louise Sampson, executive manager of the Fraud and Intelligence Unit at Insurer Suncorp. It feels to us that vehicle theft um, is actually becoming less sophisticated for the thief. So they can actually access technology workarounds online to steal a motor vehicle. The theft is becoming less complex. Uh, so they have tools to complete the system bypasses. Um, there's codes that are being developed um, for the tools and that'd be extremely complex. But the black market um, or that community 
will drive its development um, based on self-importance. So that's something that we are seeing in our space quite a bit. So um, for us, as the vehicle or technology items become more sophisticated, the hack to bypass the security, it still seems to um, be available by someone. And if anything, it's quicker than ever with people because they're more prepared to openly share those codes on the black web um, in order to bypass that action. And that information seems to be more readily accessible if you know how to get it. So our new fancy connected cars with their touchless electronic locks, in some ways they're easier to steal than ever before. So every year, as we are seeing more intelligent vehicles being released, it's becoming harder and harder to steal those cars unless... So your everyday thief may no longer be stealing those vehicles. They may change what they were previously doing. So now we're getting the more intelligent ones who know to access information off the dark web. Yes, electronic locks are more sophisticated, but there are thousands of criminal minds, hackers, working on cracking these locks. Thieves are pooling what they know, or really selling it to one another on the dark web and putting that knowledge to work. And once they've found a way in, that way will work across an entire fleet of vehicles or on a specific vehicle. There's also devices that are being reported that enable thieves to actually access specific vehicles remotely. So those devices are reportedly expensive and specific to vehicle makes and models, restricting them to um, those sophisticated thieves. And while we're loading up our cars with all of these sensors, that actually introduces a whole other set of issues, not just around theft and safety, but around privacy and data. So I think with um, the innovations in the vehicle technology, And whilst we see the cars becoming increasingly smarter, it's no longer a case where those vehicles are just coming out with anti-theft and GPS tracking or immobilizers. The new vehicles are available with the full uh, set of cameras um, and sensors to support drivers, but also create a vehicle which is self-aware of its surroundings. So that potential threat of the accidents or even theft starts to be reduced. So the challenge is... For us as an insurer, how can we work with the vehicle manufacturer to gain the access to the data within vehicles from all makes and models in order to mitigate fraud within the insurance industry? And that's where you will potentially come up against challenges, particularly from a privacy perspective. Here's the dilemma that confronts us in a world where everything knows where it is. That world, it also knows where you are what you're doing, and it might be reporting that data to someone, such as your insurer. With these smart vehicles, the data and information that is being captured, it's endless. Because that can give us information about driver patterns and how they can be observed. Was our insured following the correct road rules at the time of the accident? Um, Or were they speeding? Did they run a red light? That's all the information that we can capture. It's whether or not we'll be able to access that information to use it to make a claims decision. But taking it one step further, can we use that to create more bespoke insurance products and price our products in a way for um, a low risk driver, perhaps. So someone 
who we know uses their vehicle to go and drop the kids off every day and pick them up and they never go more than 50 kilometres an hour and we know they follow all the road rules. So that's where we need to understand from an insurance industry perspective how these two things link together. Most of the time, most of us wouldn't have any problem with our insurer knowing our driving patterns, where we go, how fast we choose to get there, but none of us are perfect. Almost all of us at one time or another will act outside of guidance, outside the rules. And do we want that to be visible too? Because some of this stuff has been available in the industry for quite a while, but there is that reluctance from the consumer market to actually share that information that can be captured. Um, And it's, you know, we've had people have had um, driver or car cams for such a while, for such a long time, but they're very reluctant to share that with you because they don't necessarily know themselves whether or not they were in the right or wrong sometimes. Now, if you've had an accident, you're in shock. You might not remember what you did right or wrong in the moments leading up to it. So do you really want to share that data? I think there's um, a clear consumer reluctance to hand over data to any company because, and that's going to be a hindrance to being able to run um, as we track your asset, therefore we will reduce your cost of the insurance model. Australian consumers are very wary. Um, So to know that your insurer has your information, I think that's going to be a big concern for consumers. It's about how we talk to them about how we will use that information. Unfortunately, that information at times, uh, when it comes to a claim, if they were doing the wrong thing, may not work in their favour. Um, so it's just about gaining that trust, providing the reasoning why you'd be using that data. But I think our privacy commissioner plays a big part in this as well in saying whether or not we would be able to use that information that is gathered off the vehicle to make a claims decision. This world where everything knows where it is and tells us It's a world that's more subtle than we might have imagined a decade ago when we figured out how to find our smartphones and our tablets. It's a world with some sharp edges. And that said, the insurers would likely sweeten the pot. You give us access to your data and we lower your premiums. Yeah, I I do feel that insurers would um, potentially look at the options to put out two policies to... uh, the insureds, um, and in doing that, they would be able to um, drive perhaps a data-driven model. So that could be one option that they might be able to offer. I just feel that in the current financial climate, I don't believe it would be a threat that most companies would invest in uh, taking that further. Um, So I feel um, everybody's doing what they can at the moment to protect the insureds. But I would like to believe that in the future there would be two options available for a motor vehicle and it's no longer your comprehensive or your third-party insurance. It would be are you allowing us access to your data or your comprehensive insurance where we don't have that information? Um, And then that would allow the insurer to price that risk accordingly. Those choices aren't on offer yet, but it's more likely than not that they will be well within the next billion seconds. Until then, there are some simple steps all of us can do 
to avoid theft. Here's Louise again. Um, there's lots of um, devices now that can give you that CCTV technology. So our house is protected with ring cameras. Those cameras link to your mobile device. They'll give you notifications if somebody's in your backyard or, or things like that. They're actually not that expensive. But the second those cameras are identified, you will find that thieves tend to avoid those uh, premises. Um, so I know people um, who don't necessarily have cameras, but they may have a sign up saying that their house is under surveillance and things like that. So extra security, um, locks, deadbolts, uh, high risk points of entry, such as doors at ground level. My own feeling is that we actually need to be fairly careful about how we deploy connected CCTV systems, such as Amazon's Ring doorbell, in our homes. Because they're connected, they can send you a photo of someone when they're ringing the bell. But that data, it might not always be entirely secure. It has already happened that hackers have found a way to use data from insecure home CCTV systems to find out when the owners are away and could be robbed. So while surveillance may help, it comes with its own dangers. There's no perfect solution here. Even for Tesla, a car that has been described as an iPad on wheels. Now, Tesla always upgrades its software. And back in 2016, it introduced a new, very whizzy summon feature. Because a Tesla has some limited autonomous driving capability, it can back itself out of a garage or a parking space and drive up to its owner when summoned by the Tesla smartphone app, which is really nifty. I have watched my uncle summon his Model S Tesla. We both giggled because it's very science fiction. But, well... It's also a bit of a danger. Here's Tesla founder Elon Musk talking to the U.S. National Governors Association back in 2017. I think one of the biggest uh, risks for autonomous vehicles is somebody achieving um, a fleet-wide hack. Um, you know, in principle, if, if somebody was able to hack, say, all of the autonomous Teslas, they could say, I mean, just as a prank, they could say, like, send them all to Rhode Island <laughs> from across the United States. And they'll be like, well, okay, that would be the end of Tesla. <laughs> um, and there'll be a lot of angry people in Rhode Island, <laughs> that's for sure. Although that may sound a little bit like science fiction, what Musk describes was really just one sophisticated hack away from happening. With Tesla's new smart summon feature, a car can do more than just back out of the garage. It can drive across the country. And in 2017, a hacker by the name of Jason Hughes proved that he could summon a Tesla in California from his home in North Carolina. It was going to drive all the way across the United States. Now, the vehicle will never actually make it that far. The batteries would run down after about 400 kilometers. But it proved that Musk's greatest fear, it's a real one. And it means that hackers are constantly testing Tesla's security and the security of every other car maker looking for that way in so that they can send a command and get your car to steal itself. A world that's smart and knows where it is and tells us that sounds like a fantasy 
reality is more complicated and comes with its own set of risks. Surveillance isn't always the best solution. Sometimes we have to think a bit more comprehensively and socially. Here's Sally Dominguez again. And so when it comes to theft, I think, you know, we're seeing this massive recalibration of value, this demand for inclusivity. And what's that going to do to this kind of capitalist structure of if I've got money and you steal it from me, then you go to jail? You know, that sounds ridiculous and I don't want anyone to steal from me. But I also feel the injustice and the imbalance and it worries me. Some of our worries about theft, they're really worries about the world. Looking for technical solutions to what may be, at essence, social problems, that's only going to end up complicating things. And that's the fifth chapter in our User's Guide to the Future. In our final episode, we'll take a look at the future of work. We're now working from home. Is that a permanent shift? How do we keep our jobs in the face of growing automation? And how do we keep up with a world that's always getting smarter? That's the next chapter in our user's guide to the future. All this talk about theft and tracking and surveillance and hacking, all of it has probably raised some questions. And if so, we'd like to hear from you. Drop by our website at nextbillionseconds.com or leave us a message on LinkedIn. We'll do our best to answer them. Big thanks to Louise Sampson and Sally Dominguez for coming on to our show. The Next Billion Seconds User's Guide to the Future was written and presented by Mark Pesci, created in collaboration with Podcast One Australia in partnership with GIO. Producer Alex Mitchell and sound production Darcy Thompson. For more episodes, go to podcastoneaustralia.com.au, download the Podcast One Australia app, or search The Next Billion Seconds. This is Mark Pesci, thanking you for listening.